Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and speaks to your heart. Enjoy the message. First and foremost, I want to welcome all of you this morning. Welcome home. It's good to have you. It's good to be with you. But more importantly, it's good that we have a home to go to. That we have a place in which we call our home and we get to meet with our family and we get to fellowship, worship, and be challenged together to grow and to develop our faith to believe God for the things that we've yet to see. Amen. When, when P- Pastor was talking about uh, the, having a seat at the table, um, the, uh, the Lord, I guess, he brought to my attention this, this scene from, if you've ever seen the movie X-Men, there's a lot of versions of it, but the third installment of the movie X-Men deals with a solution to the issue with, that's called the mutant gene. And there's this specific little boy that when you get close to him, you, if you have that gene, if you are a mutant and you get close to him, your powers or your defect is suddenly taken away. And the closer you get, the more it is removed. And I was, and I was remembering that because Pastor said, as you sit closer to the Father, he reveals more and more this, the mysteries of faith. And it, it brought that to my attention because I, I realized that we're born with the defect. The defect is sin. And as we grow closer to the Father and we stay close to the Father, our sin and sinful nature begins to simply get washed away. And it's something that I will forever be grateful for because it's a debt that I could have never paid. But you and I are sitting here today reaping the benefit of Jesus and his wonderful obedience. And this morning, I have a, uh, I want to give you a word that has uh, is been on, on my heart. Uh, it deals with one of my favorite verses, uh, parts of scripture, and one of my personal favorite um, heroes of the faith, or, you know, characters of the Bible. Um, and I'll start by, by um, saying this. Did you know, speaking of having seats, did you know that where you are placed matters? Where you sit, where you are positioned, it matters. If God places you somewhere, you will indeed grow and flourish. But if you walk away from where he places you, you will indeed wither and dry up. That is a statement of truth. And sometimes God will have to painfully position you to get you to complete his mission and his purpose. And this morning, I want you to look to your neighbor and tell him, you have been painfully positioned next to me. You have been painfully positioned next to me. It's, and it's okay if you're sitting next to someone that's intimidating, tell him. Tell them. It's all right. Husband, tell your wife you're painfully positioned next to me. Mother, tell your daughter you're painfully positioned next to me. We have been painfully positioned. And I'm going to explain 
to you what that means. And I want you to grab your Bible and go with me to the book of Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. When you're there, go ahead and say, I'm ready. Acts chapter 16, and we're going to start reading in verse 16. And I'm going to be reading through scripture, making pauses to comment on specific things as we go through this message. But I just want to lay down a quick word of prayer and then build off of that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you that your word is true and it is real. We thank you that your word is something that we can stand on. And when we confess your word and believe in your word, your word is made visible to us. And we are able to understand and comprehend the mysteries of faith that you have chosen to uncover this morning. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would invest yourself in the minds of all of those sitting here today and those watching through that camera, Lord. That you would invest in them a diamond of revelation this morning, a golden idea, a thought that would revolutionize them from this day going forward in Jesus' name. And the church says, amen and amen. And I, 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 I want to welcome those that are watching online. Thank you for being here, whether you're watching today live in, the, in English or you're watching in the Spanish translation or you're watching 30 years from now. Thank you for being here today. And I believe that whatever is spoken will bless you as much as it, it has blessed me and as much as it will bless those that are here live and we welcome you home as well. Acts chapter 16, verse 16 says this. It's talking about Paul and Silas in prison. It says, one day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future or a spirit of divination. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day. Everyone say until. Until Paul got so annoyed, says the New Amplified Version or the New American Standard Version says, until Paul got exacerbated that he turned and said to the demon within her. Who did Paul talk to? The demon, the spirit within her. I command you as a representative of Christ to come out of her in the name of Jesus. And it instantly, everyone say instantly, left her. Now, what we are witnessing is just another average day for Paul. For you and I, it's a moment of great, wow, amazement. But for Paul, it's just another day. Paul, the great apostle, the great theologian, teacher, was so annoyed or exacerbated, if you want a $20 word, I like the word annoyed because it reads better. He was so annoyed to the point of deliverance. This woman was possessed. 
and she was a mere token of profit for her masters. Her masters were rich and wealthy because of this woman. And I want to tell you something that sinful actions can prosper you temporarily. But actions of obedience will prosper you eternally. This woman was following Paul and Silas, the Bible says, day after day. And it happened that Paul eventually could no longer stand and listen to the mockery of this woman. Because if, if this woman was saying something in a, in a heart of love and of grace... Paul would have never rebuked her because she was saying something technically correct. Right? They were servants of the Most High, and they were delivering the message on how you can be saved. But we often have to understand that just because somebody says something doesn't mean that it's coming from them. Because Paul did not turn to the woman and say, You lady, he said, No, you spirit, you demon. Sinful actions annoy God. And that is why Paul reacted the way that he did. Because Paul felt the heartbeat of God. Paul was close to God. And therefore he knew what was done right and what was done wrong. He knew that this woman was not saying things for the glory of God, but in fact she was saying them to mock who they represented and Paul was not going to stand for that. How many of you have ever heard somebody mock your parents or your brothers or sisters or even your spouse and you keep your mouth shut? One of my biggest pet peeves in life in general is a bully. A bully is someone that actively engages in the oppression of somebody else for mere enjoyment. And, I, and, and I, I sadly witnessed that a lot as a teacher. And I've involved myself in many different cases in regards to bullying. And I've, I've seen parents just weeping, saying, I, I don't know why my son is the way or my daughter is the way that she is when they get caught doing something to somebody else. But we have to understand that when we see something or hear something that is not right, it's our responsibility. It's our what? It's our responsibility to take care of the issue. Now, does that mean that you're going around running up to people and screaming at their face in Jesus' name, devil, I command you to come out? Maybe. Maybe not. But it has to be done to a point where you as a believer, you're able to understand when someone is in need of deliverance. And sometimes, everyone say, ouch, you need to look in the mirror. I need to look in the mirror. That same person that we look in the mirror to often needs deliverance, as we learned on Wednesday. Now, I want to ask you two mere questions for reflection. 
and I'm going somewhere with all of this. I'm not, I'm not here to talk about deliverance. No, 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 that's not the topic for this morning. So you can kind of let go of your tight grip, relax a little bit. But I want to give you two questions just to reflect a little bit. Have you ever been so annoyed by a sinful action that you turn around and boldly cast out that spirit or that demon? Question number two. Have you ever been so annoying to God that he sends someone to cast out demons from you? I fall under question number two more. Now don't worry because there's a couple of people that I see that look a little nervous. I'm not here to deal or discuss deliverance or the demonic forces of, in demonic oppression. Though Those are real topics. Those are real things. But today I have a specific word that I want to make sure that I give out faithfully. Now, this morning I want to talk about a much more important topic than deliverance. That is passion. But wait, Kevin, how can passion be more important than casting out demons? Fair question, but it's an easy one to answer. You cannot cast anything out without passion. If you want to be able to stand in a position in which you can cast out a spirit of oppression, a spirit of fear, a spirit of anxiety, a spirit of illness, or even a spirit of death. You cannot stand on the position of casting out if you are not inherently walking in passion. If your foundation is not walking on a basis of passion, of love, of desire, of obedience, you cannot operate in the market of deliverance. You follow me? Now, what is deliverance? For those of you that may be asking, it's the process of being set free from. Dot, dot, dot. So deliverance is the process in which God, either through the Holy Spirit, through the impartation of hands, or through you yourself of confession and intimacy with him, enables what is dark within you to come out. So you are being set free from, and then you insert wherever whether it's fear, whether it's addiction, whether it's impure thoughts, whether it's certain action. Deliverance cannot occur without the element of passion. Now, what is passion? What, is, what exactly can we define as passion, just to give it a very simple understanding? Passion is an intense desire or enthusiasm for something. I used to be very passionate about soccer. I mean, my entire life was soccer. Growing up, everything I did was soccer, and I played soccer, and I, I did everything that I wanted to. I was hoping to play for one of the most prestigious um, teams in, in the Lower Valley, and I was offered the uh, position. Um, and many, many of you know the story. It, you know, all the games happened to fall on Sunday mornings, and there was no way for me to be in two places at once. So I didn't do it, but I continued my passion in playing soccer. I played on the MISA League. I was recruited by other teams. I played in high school. Even, even after high school, when I went to college, I played with uh, friends there. I played with the, um, with the Division I team in their practices. Soccer was my passion. I loved it. But I began to realize something. The passion in which I was investing in was taking me nowhere. 
I remember as a young boy, my, my, my desire was to be a professional soccer player. And it wasn't until B- Vicente, all those years ago, said this wonderfully crafted phrase to me and one of my buddies that was, that, that was with me. Um, and I, I told him a couple weeks ago, he, he, uh, he came up to us after playing. We were playing one day, and then he came up to me and was like, man, you guys look like you, like you are professionals. But then you start playing, and I'm like, never mind. It was very humbling for me, but it was very true. Because in my head, I had the idea that I was super talented, that I was going to make it, that I could be the greatest, that I'm going to make myself rich as a player, and I was going to do all of these different things because my passion was soccer. Now, if you ask me about soccer, about teams, about what's going on, I have no idea who's playing what, who's the best team. I don't know anything about it. And there's this, this student of mine. Um, he reminds me of me when I was his age because his entire life is soccer. He comes up to me every single day as I'm, and I, I try to leave a little bit early sometimes to avoid him because he comes up to my door, hey, and then he, he usually, he, he calls me gaffer because gaffer is what you call your coach in England because I coached him a couple years ago. So he calls me gaffer, right, as just a, a term of respect. And then, he, and, then, and then if you give him 30 seconds, he will unload. Did, did, did you hear about this player and this manager and this salary and this transfer and this con? And he tells me all these details. And I'm thinking, Paul, Paul, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. That sounds great, but I don't know what that means. Because he's passionate about the sport. But see, passion is when you have this intense desire or enthusiasm about something, that your entire life is consumed willingly by that thing. No one forces you to be passionate about anything. No one forces me to be passionate about music. No one needs to push me to be passionate about scripture. No one needs to push me to be passionate about loving my wife. It's a willful desire that I enjoy. Passion is never forced. So don't forcefully try to be passionate because you won't reach it. You'll simply reach frustration. Now, a passion or passion in general, when you are serious about your faith and you are devoted to to being and walking as, as a son or daughter, passion allows you to connect directly with the heart of the Father. It's a direct link. I, I know this now more than ever, and I'm noticing that I'm doing what, what my dad does now. Every time I read, I put my glasses on. When I don't read, I take them off. I just noticed that you do that, and now I'm doing it. I'm going to leave them there. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm going to need them anyways to, to, to keep reading, but it's okay because I know, I know the message. Now, when you, as a son want to connect with your father, you have to take the action of initiation. If you want a relationship with somebody, are you going to wait for them to approach you forever? If I had waited for Wendy to approach me, she would have never, ever, ever approached me. I'd still be single. Without children. Hopefully Wendy too. 
But it took somebody initiating the link, the connection. Though it was a long process for me and for her, the benefit of that initiation, I'm living it today. Christian is living it today. I thought he'd be single forever, if I'm being honest. Because Christian was the type of person that didn't initiate anything. And I can say that because it's, he's here, I'm not saying behind his back, but when he was younger, he didn't initiate anything. He was the type of guy that would sit back and watch everything happen, and he was fine. But then God began doing a work in him, and thankfully Brenda came along. And it solved a lot of problems. Thank you, Brenda, for being a problem solver. Because now Christian has to change diapers on his own. He has to feed his baby on his own. He has to do things that now he himself has to initiate. And when you come and when, when you directly connect with the heart of the Father, you don't need excuses to see him. I have found that my parents make a lot of excuses to see their grandkids. Not their kids. The grandkids. Oh, we happen to be in Dunkin' Donuts way over here in front of your house. Can we stop by to see the kids? When there's a Dunkin' Donuts a lot closer to their house than mine. Oh, we're, we're just passing by Starbucks when there's a Starbucks in front of their house. But see, when you want something, you don't need an, you simply go for it. I don't have to ask for permission to show up at my parents' house. I do it out of courteousness, but I can show up and be welcomed with or without my kids, hopefully. Now the grandkids are like, are, are they with you? No? Oh, we're, we're actually busy. Everything's the grandkids now. And as Brian beautifully put it, skips a generation. That's an inside joke with these. Now, passion will allow you to connect directly with the heart of the Father. And Paul was so passionate about God that what, whatever didn't match God, he would take it upon himself to deal with it. That is why he was annoyed with this woman spreading blasphemy and mockery. Passion is the difference between purpose mindset and persecuted mindset. Passion makes you see things in the light. People are attacking and coming against me. I must be doing it right. Lack of passion makes you see things in the dark. People are attacking and coming against me. I, may be, I must be doing something wrong. It's a victim mentality. Often people don't in, engage in faith or they don't allow themselves to become passionate about their faith because passion will force you to deny your victim mentality, our victim mentality, my victim mentality. Because passion doesn't have time for self-pity. Jesus, the one person that had a reason to feel bad for himself, didn't. The one person that I know that had a real reason to feel bad for himself, his passion of seeing the captives free outweighed his need to complain about his positioning. 
We have been painfully positioned. And we're going to see why here as we keep reading. Verse 19 in Acts chapter 16 says this. Now, this is after Paul sets this woman free. Now, uh, Paul sets this woman free. Her masters, verse 19, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. Now, if you're being dragged, it's because you're going against your own will. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. Man, talk about bad day for Paul and Silas. Now, how did this day start for them? Where were they going? Verse 16 tells us. They were on their way. <laughs> they were on their way to pray. When this woman, and I have it written here in my, in my Bible, distractions to keep you from praying. Because this woman shows up out of nowhere. These men were on their way to pray. And now, instead of going to go pray, they end up in prison, dragged and beaten, severely beaten. Sometimes when I'm up early in the mornings and I, you know, get up a little bit early to go and have a little bit of prayer time or just time of devotion, and I stub my toe, I hit myself on the corner of a chair, I lose my will to pray. And I'm just there like, oh, why did this have to happen? And I mean, and I get... Ah, and I'm there, and, and it just, it distracts me. Because pain is often a tool of distraction. But when God used Paul and Silas to set this woman free, mind you, this woman had no intentions of being set free. This woman was not asking for deliverance. She was not praying for deliverance. She wasn't even repenting for deliverance. Merely Paul and Silas were vessels for God to use to set her free anyway. And I want to tell somebody this morning, either here in person or watching on that camera, God desires your passion to be so focused that people who aren't even interested in the faith be touched by it, be delivered by it, and their lives radically transformed so generations can be rescued and the faith family can grow. It is so important that your passion be focused. You cannot just be crazy about something and not focus it. Passion allowed this woman to be delivered. Now, you would think that their masters were happy. She's been set free from demonic oppression. 
Oh, no, no, no. Because see, this, these guys were saying in verse um, 20, the whole city is in uproar because of these Jews when it actually it was just them. And then they go on to say this crazy phrase. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. But they're practicing divination. Now, after Paul and Silas set this woman free, the masters of this lady were so mad that they gathered an angry mob and beat Paul and beat Silas. If you think passion is pain-free, you're very wrong. Passion took Paul and Silas to prison. In other words, they were painfully positioned in prison. Passion took Abraham to sacrifice his son. The reason God sends an angel is because Abraham was already committed. His heart was already, okay, God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sacrifice him. So God had to stop him himself. Passion took three Hebrew boys into a fiery furnace. Passion took Jesus to the cross. If you've ever questioned or, or, or wondered why you get stuck in life and why your faith doesn't develop or why you know, your life gets stagnant, it's because passion is the driving force that gets you from point A to point B. If you were, if you were here or if you've never heard the series Detours that, that, uh, that was done here, that will be forever my favorite uh, series and messages because of the simplicity of the application. God uses detours to get you to where he needs you to be. But often, our own apathy, our own decisions, our own rebellion detours us time and time again. God will process you through detours, yes, of course. Because if the Christian life was to be pain-free, then the suffering of Christ would be in vain. Our lives are not meant to be pain-free. If you're living a pain-free life, you are not living a life of faith. Because the enemy loves what looks like him. And if it looks opposing to God, he applauds it. Why? Because it's not going to grow near to him. Now, passion is the driving force that will get you from point A to point B. Passion never runs out of gas. It never gets tired and it never expires. When you allow the passion of faith to get you from where you're starting to where you need to be, you will see the benefit of the journey and the destination. Now, before you think that it's just a, a, a feeling or an emotion, it's much more than that. We often treat passion like a feeling, but it's not a feeling. It's not something that, oh, you know what, I'm going to be passionate. No. Passion is something that you decide. And there's a phrase that I tell the youth group almost every single week because it's a reality. It's all about a choice. You have to decide. 
you have to choose. Passion is that little voice in your head that tells you to keep on going. Despite the current situation, despite what you're feeling, despite what you're seeing, despite the pileup of the bills, despite the, the, the agony, despite the contradictions, despite the attacks, despite the problems, it's the voice that tells you keep going forward. It's the difference between living in victory and living in defeat. Those that are passionate for the gospel and passionate to see the kingdom of heaven expanded on earth often have the characteristic of not giving up. Often people say, you know, I've encountered many people throughout my 28 years of life, you know, where we were, we were in high school together and they, were, they wanted to be all these, you know, business people or athletes and all these things. And I've encountered here and there some of them. And often, you know, the common phrase that they've shared is, well, I just, you know, I lost my passion for football. I lost my passion for business. I lost my passion for education. Because they've allowed life to just completely compress them. But often we, we, we allow the enemy to convince us that we have lost something that instead of actually realizing that we've only left it behind. Now, sometimes we get to a point in life where, uh, where the thing that took us to where we are today, we forget. We focus on where we are rather than what brought us here. You know, lately it's been this trend with these really big mega pastors and their churches just coming under destruction. They allow themselves to forget why they established their church. One after the other, slowly slipping away into either sin or a completely twisted doctrine or they become all about performances. Let's, let's put on a good show for them because we need them to come back. And we exchange passion for performance. And that is a common characteristic among believers. They become performance-based believers. I have to do it so that I don't get in trouble. I have to do it so nobody tells me anything. I have to do it because if not, then I get called out. Rather than I get to do it. Period. I get to do this. It's my privilege. It's my honor. It's my responsibility. It's my desire. It's my passion to be able to serve, to do, to speak. To have, to not have. When you allow your passion to be focused, it allows you to remove that performance mindset that I have to do it to make you happy. If not, then I'm going to feel like a failure. If every message given on this pulpit was for your approval, man, we'd have a horrible approval rate. Because if our, if our ideology was based on making you feel good about yourself, then we would fail 
the gospel, but we please man. And we are not about pleasing men. Our desire to be men and women passionate for the gospel has to go beyond simply performing because God did not perform for us. God served us. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. His passion outweighed his pain. His passion outweighed his discomfort. We begin serving at church because of passion. New, new converts or new believers, you know, they get injected with this faith and they begin serving in the children's ministry and then the babies and then they come to cleaning and then they do all of these wonderful things. But as time progresses, it slowly becomes about performance and it loses the essence of passion. Performance is not of God or for God. Performance is for man because of men. So I, I, I want you to look to your neighbor and tell them, look them square in the eye and tell them your performance is over. I want to tell you, church, and you watching online, that if you've been performing up until this day, if everything that you've done, whether you're serving in the ministry with the kids, whether you're serving in cleaning, whether you're serving in the sound, whether you're serving at some capacity, or whether you're, not, or whether you're serving by not serving, your performance is done. We're not going to be pressuring any longer for people to do things. If you don't want to do it, Fine. Don't blame God when you're left out. If you don't want to serve, fine, don't serve. But don't blame God when the devil runs rampant with your children. If you want to serve, then serve knowingly. It's a privilege that we get to do this. Because if you go across the sea to another continent, you would have to die if you get caught doing what we're doing today. One of the biggest frustrations that I have is often my wife, is, she struggles to find people to help. It's a big frustration that I have because week after week, we give up our Saturday morning and we have to coordinate who's staying with the kids, who's coming here, who's doing this, who's doing that. And I ask myself, how come nobody else wants to? And for those of you that do it wanting to, thank you. But for those of you that don't, why not? It's a matter of understanding that when you have a home, you have to serve your home. You don't leave your laundry for six months, right? You don't leave your dishes unwashed for a year, right? You don't stop feeding your children, right? No. Why? It's a responsibility. If you don't do it, nobody else will. Don't, don't forget that this is a home, that this is a temple. And when we come here, when the church gathers together, we are gathering as a demonstration that we want to passionately serve God with our worship. And more and more, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced, as a su suggestion to our, to our pastor, <laughs> that we need to take away all the chairs in this place. Yeah. 
More and more I'm convinced that we don't need lights. More and more I'm convinced that we don't need these instruments. More and more I'm convinced that we don't need more reasons for you to be comfortable. How would you worship if there's no chairs or there's nobody playing an instrument? How would you worship if there was no one up here leading worship? Question is, would you come back after the first service? See, because passion doesn't rely on the comforts of the world. Passion relies on the purpose of the giver of all things. Passion is much more than just you wanting and feeling like you want to do it. Passion is what enables you to continue pushing forward, even though everyone and everything and every situation is saying, stop, it's wrong. The Pharisees were disgusted by the passion of Jesus, even though they were promising others the return of the Messiah. Verse 24. I, I, I want to make sure we reach this last part, these next verses. So we read that Paul and Silas get thrown into prison and they... They tell the jailer, make sure that they don't escape. So verse 24 says this in Acts 16. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Some translations say prison, which is true. They were in prison. But they were placed in the inner prison or inner dungeon, which, you know, there's a prison right? It has cells. But then there's the place beneath the prison. A dungeon usually has no windows, no fire lamps. It simply has places to shackle people either to the ground or to the wall in uncomfortable positions. Because if you're placed in a, in a dungeon, the, their goal is not to make it comfortable. The goal is for you to suffer. Now, Verse 24 continues the story of Paul and Silas, and now they've been chained and imprisoned, and they're placed in this dungeon with their feet fastened in the stocks. These two men were simply obeying and following the mission of Jesus. They casted out a demon, and they got beat up badly for it by a mob and then got thrown into a dungeon because of their action. Kevin, um, <clears throat> if that's what passion is going to get me, then I don't, I don't know if I want it. Believe me, I, I've asked myself the same thing. Lord, if, <laughs> if this is, because if you've noticed, this is kind of like a cadence. You passionately serve God, and the world doesn't really stand by you. Passion positions you. Everyone say passion positions you. Now all of us are given a mission and a purpose as to why we have been placed. Not just on earth, but in life. In this place and where you are sitting today in your jobs, 
in your careers, in your families, in whatever position you hold. We've been positioned for a reason. Now, at the beginning of the story, Paul and Silas were going to go where? They were on their way to prayer when this, what seems as a distraction, as a very inconvenient thing, happens in their life. But see, we've been painfully positioned. Our life, if it's pain-free, it's faithless. If we don't experience any type of setbacks or discomforts or just plain out painful situations, like my 2022 year was probably the worst start of my entire 28 years of life. In the beginning of this year, my hope was to you know, start the school year strong, have a good three months before my daughter arrived, and the Lord said, <laughs> no. Within two weeks, your wife is going to have to, um, three weeks, your wife is going to have to painfully and unexpectedly give birth seven weeks early after getting COVID and you too. You're not going to be able to see your daughter nor be around your daughter until 10 days later because she's going to be in the NICU. You're going to have to come home every single day empty-handed because your daughter is in the NICU. That's how my 2022 started. Now, for a lot of the time, I was upset, thinking, Lord, what is it? Why? Basic natural reaction. I'm human. I have emotions. I have my own limits. But then the Lord reminded me, you know, months later, now that I get to see her all chunky and healthy, the Lord said, Kevin, I'm painfully positioning you for what I have to do in you. Because as a minister of the gospel, you need to get used to the painful situations that you cannot control. As a father, I wanted to go into that NICU, grab my baby girl and run and take her with me. But the fact of the matter is that I wasn't able to. I couldn't control the situation. In my discussions with the nurses and the doctors, I couldn't change the situation. But often pain will come because God is positioning you for something in his kingdom. Passion is not just going to church. Passion is the difference between going and being the church. Passion is just not needing to pray. Passion is knowing that prayer is the sustainer of life. The difference between you and the person next to you is passion. If you are truly tired of seeing your life the same year in and year out, it's time to reflect on how passionate you're, you are choosing to be. And just if you forgot, corporate worship is a reflection of secret actions. Just in case you needed to know that. If you can't worship corporately, it's because in your secrecy, in your you know, at-home lifestyle, you don't do it. If you don't do it alone, you can't do it with other people. Because it's not something you're used to. 
Your passion or the lack of passion will be the determining factor whether you are launched forward in the kingdom of God or whether you are kept behind because you cannot pace yourself. See, the Lord tells us to run the race, right? Paul tells Timothy, run the race. Okay, in other words, when you're running, Martha's not here, but when you're running, you have to set a pace. Because if you start running and it says one, two, three, go, and you start sprinting with everything you have, if you're like me, you'll last 10 seconds. And then I'm gassed. I'm done. I, I can no longer continue this pace because I'm tired. But if you learn to pace yourself, knowing that this is a long run, this is a marathon of marathons, you'll see the difference in your growth, ask yourself this question. How much have you grown in the last year? How much have you been stretched in the last three years? Were you the same believer you were six months ago? When, uh, Wendy and I were uh, watching a movie the, a, couple, a, a, a couple days ago. We were, we were watching the movie War Room. Man, that movie can really put you in tears and it just messes up your entire night in a good way. Because we were, we, we were, we were watching that movie and I was, you know, watching it, enjoying it, just having a time with, with, with my wife after we put the kids to bed. But this little, this, I mean, obviously this little black woman just makes it so much better because she's so dynamic and she's so explosive and she's so un embarrassed she's unashamed Romans 1 16 if you're embarrassed of the gospel you're not passionate for it but this little woman and you know and, we, we're, and we, we've seen the movie before but I encourage you church take 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 a break from the from the modern movies, take, take a break from the Netflix series and watch these old films again. One of my favorite movies is Facing the Giants. Man, I cry like a baby every single time I see that guy put him on his back and he's crawling and he's saying, I, I, I can't do it anymore, I can't do it anymore. And he, just, and he just keeps telling him, keep going, keep going. You want it to, to get to the 40, just keep going, keep going. And by the time he finally lets go, the guy did the whole 100 yards. And I'm just bawling like a baby, thinking, oh my gosh, God, it's so simple. When we're screaming, God, I can't do it anymore. God says, hey, hey, you already reached it. That's just a commercial for Pure Flix. Pure Flix is sponsoring this message. I wish they were sponsoring. Yeah, that would be fantastic. But just, just, just so you know, church, show, show your kids these movies. Get them away from, you know, the Star Wars series and the Marvel series. and all, Show them these movies. Have a, a family movie night. You've, if you've never done it, now you can. Invest your children in spiritual aspects. Don't just allow them to get cold under your watch. Paul was taken all over the region of what we and you call Asia now 
because his passion was set on following Christ. He was not going to be left behind. If you've ever read a portion of scripture that Paul writes, you can always tell in his verbiage or his usage of vocabulary that there's always this tone of of he's pushing, of he's trying to, 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 to almost forcefully get you to that next level, to that next part. He's always trying to remind you, hey, you're doing good, but there's still more. Hey, you reached it, but there's still more to pray. Hey, you saw the miracle, but there's still more deliverance to happen. He's always getting you to understand that even though you are in victory right now, there's still a battle tomorrow. And that's what I love about Paul and what I love about this, these, these verses that we're, we're, we're going to continue reading is that grunt, that push that you can just feel off of Paul's words. Now, the Bible is not going to say, and Paul grunted and said, no, but when you learn to, to, to study Scripture and you read and you familiarize yourself with what the Bible says and how it says it, man, it makes Bible reading extremely fun if you've ever gotten bored reading the bible it's because you're reading it wrong when i read the bible i like to give the characters voices so i'll read in like these specific voices and i try to animate everything because it allows me to invest myself more into what i'm reading and it allows things to pop up in my head that's just a tip if you've ever needed help reading scripture animate the word and you'll see the word come to life now all, today is a season in which the people of God must run harder than ever before. Every time I, I look at the condition of our nation and our youth and our young children, it, it's, not, it's not terrifying, but it's cautioning. Because I know that my kids will be born into a world that is so much different than the one that I was born into. And it takes parents, men and women of faith, to run harder than they've ever had to run before for their sake. Those who choose to wake up and grab the passion and pursue Jesus, those are the people that are going to see their children and their children's children rise and stand and be people and pillars of faith far beyond them because they chose to put the work now instead of putting comfort now. We're so invested in making our kids safe and comfortable that now schools are given safe spaces for children that are triggered by the wrong use of pronouns. When I was in school, they would have beat you up for something like that. Because now pronouns are everything. I, and this is what frustrates me about being a teacher now. Though I love my job and I love what I do, I still get frustrated. I had a training all day on Friday. Boring training, but nonetheless. Because essentially the entire, and it's leadership training for teachers that are leaders. It's training revolved around making sure that your students and your teachers, they feel comfortable and safe. Not physically because of gun violence, no, but because, you know, you don't want to use words that are wrong. You want to make sure that you identify everyone correctly. Pronouns are 
and then, you know, it was a virtual meeting because they don't believe in meeting in person yet. So their backgrounds were, June is Pride Month, celebrate Pride. So what I did is I put an American flag as my background. And I was just kind of there like, yeah, you know. But that's what the condition of this world is. Where you can get beaten and sentenced to jail for misgendering somebody. This is our world now. Because people chose, and I mean people in the church chose, to allow this to happen. And I say we because we are included. Though we do our part, we still can need, need to continue to fight and run harder. I was asked a question a couple weeks ago, you know, sir, what is a man, what is a, what is a, a woman? <laughs> and I, I thought of many things to say, right? But I'm thinking I need to be smart about this. I'm in a school setting and these kids are looking for any opportunity to make me say something wrong. So I said, okay, a woman has XX chromosome, a man has XY chromosome. And they looked at me like, Huh? I'm like, it's basic biology. What? Isn't a woman just, if, if you feel like a woman? I'm like, no, that's called, and I didn't say what I, what I, thought, I thought about saying, but we live in a world where everything revolves around safety emotionally. But we allow our children to be sacrificed to Baal and Molech, giving them choices. What do you feel that you are? Four-year-olds that are choosing their own genders. Little children already talking about sex orientation surgery. And the parents, my little Timmy is now going to be Samantha. Oh! Just remember what the devil applauds, heaven is angered by. And if you're not angered, if you're the type of person that says, well, you know, I mean, every, everyone's got their own thing. If you want to play the neutral card and all this, I don't get into politics. This has nothing to do with politics. This has nothing to do with, 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 with even our government. This has everything to do with the future of faith and the future of, of, of the church's effectiveness in society. If we allow our children even back there to be robbed away, church will be no longer essential. Paul did not allow Timothy to make excuses despite his young age. But in fact, he charged them with one of the greatest responsibilities. 1 Timothy 4.12, therefore be an example dot, dot, dot. Today, parents, grandparents, fathers, mothers, uncles, aunts, siblings of the faith must run harder than they've ever had to run before. And in your pursuit of Christ and his kingdom, you will be able to walk in what we call miracles, signs, and wonders. And friend, let me tell you, when you allow yourself to passionately be disclosed, you can never go back to that old lifestyle of worshiping 
in your comfort zone. Why do I keep mentioning worship? I'm going to get to it in just a little bit. There are often way too many people who quit the faith just because things get really difficult. What you may not know is that right now, you and I, we're not trying to be faithful. We're training to be faith-filled. We're no longer trying. Anyone still trying today? No, we need to be training. Why? Because we can no longer allow the excuse of I tried to dictate our choices. We are training because we need to reach the fulfilled purpose that God has called us to do here on earth. But church, ask your neighbor, how are you training? Ask him, how are you training? Are you practicing correctly? Because let me tell you something. I need a practice is effective only when it's done correctly. I can practice a specific motion for 10 years only to find somebody to tell me, hey, by the way, that's wrong. When I first started CrossFit training and all that stuff, I knew, I thought I knew how to work out. I thought I knew how to squat right. I thought I knew how to bench press. I thought I knew everything right. And then comes my loving older brother, Brian. Look, the first day that I went, he looks at me and says, everything you did is wrong. And I remember at first feeling frustrated, thinking, what is this guy, who does this guy think he is? But then he mentioned something very important that made me love him even more than I already do. He said, form is the difference between doing it right or getting hurt. The right form will enable you to do it correctly. Therefore, with the proper form, you can grow. So what did I start doing? Practicing my form. Practicing correctly. Often we'll come to church and we'll worship. Uh, you, you just kind of hum the words. I came for you, I came for you, Holy Spirit. And you're just there. I'm worshiping, Lord. But it's done incorrectly. Now, I'm not saying that you have to run like crazy and jump and shout and do all of these crazy things. But if you want to, you can. If you feel the need to, it's welcomed which is why I'm so pro no more chairs, and I'm going to keep hammering that until it happens, because we have to come to a, an understanding that if we are really about doing things differently, then it takes different methods to do things differently. But I'm going to leave that for submission and review. Practice is only effective when done correctly. And if you haven't been effective, it's because you're not practicing correctly. Your training is off, and you need people to help you train properly. If you want to be an expository of, an expositor of the Word of God, and you want to learn how to do it, ask, learn, study, observe, invest yourself, allow yourself to do it. Don't be embarrassed if you do it wrong like I did for the first year of my preaching career. I'm no master, I'm no 
great communicator. I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect at doing this. I make mistakes. I forget things. Sometimes when I, when I read back my stuff, it makes no sense and I have to go back and fix it. I'm still in the process of development, but I'm training to be able to be better. Not for you. I don't, I, I don't, I don't want you to think that. But because I have little eyes watching me now. I'm noticing something about Oliver a lot more than I have before. If I do something, if I sit on the floor, because whenever I play guitar with him, I sit on the floor and I play. So now what he does, he goes into my room, into my office. He, there's this three-foot meter stick. He grabs it and picks it up. He hits the guitar, meaning that he wants it, and he's, he, he's telling me he wants it. So I get it down, and I put it on the floor, and he gets it. He sits down on the floor. He puts it on top of himself and starts playing. And he's, and he's just making noise. Ah, la, la. Uh, and he's just, and, and I, 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 at first I was like, what is he doing? And then it dawned on me, wait a minute, he's singing. Where, where, where has he seen that before? And I realized, oh my gosh, he's watching me. Every little thing that I do, even when I don't even, and now he has a piano too. So he gets his piano and he scoots it over his legs and he starts doing this. In front of the TV as the worship music is playing. And I asked myself, oh my gosh, God, can I handle this much responsibility? Yes, it's, it's cute and it's adorable and it's great and it makes me happy, but it also terrifies me. <laughs> because if he sees the good things I do, he's watching the bad things that I do too. And it brings me to my knees and I say, Lord, let him pick up my passion for you not my mistakes, not my humanity. Lord, let him be able to practice better than I ever did in all of this. And why do I tell you this? And I want to share a couple of things. Because passion is a reflection of your practice. In 1 Samuel 17, David practiced. And we all know David. David is my, David is my friend, my best friend. He practiced for years as a child what he would do as a man. David was training to fight battles that were too big for him as a young boy. He learned to take down a lion as a kid. He learned to take down a bear as a child. He had to practice time and time again because God was getting him ready to the call to the big stage. And I'm sure that at the beginning of it, the first time David saw a lion, he was afraid. First time he saw a bear, I'm sure he was afraid. But see, he, he never responded in fear. He said, though I'm afraid, I'm training. And if God is with me, I'm either going to take this thing down or I'm going to get eaten alive. But see, that in between didn't stop him. He continued pressing forward. Now, all David had, what we see him as a little pastor, was a, a rod, right? Pastors had rods. 
But David also carried around a little piece of leather and some rocks. Now, against a lion and a bear, it may not seem like the right choice, but little is much in the hands of God. When you allow God to take what little you have in your hand, how mighty it looks in his. Paul and David were both so annoyed. Funny how it happens in the Old and the New Testament. David gets sent by his father to take some cheese and bread to his brothers. And what does David do? Who is... Wait, whoa, 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 time out, time out. Who's this guy? I like how the Bible puts it. He says, David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That's like biblical curse words. Uncircumcised Philistine. Because everyone was listening to this guy, but nobody was doing anything. David wasn't even supposed to be there long. But see, God was training him, was positioning him for something. He went to deliver in obedience of to his father, but God was saying, David, the cheese and the bread are just a vessel. They're, they're just a reason for you to be there. So then David is listening to this guy. Paul is listening to this woman and he says, enough is enough. We have to forget that being fed up is not a sin. Reaching our limits is not a sin when they're done in the collective right way. When you see a generational iniquity going through your family time and time again, it is good to be fed up with that. When you see your children suffering with something that you, because of you and your mistakes, now they're paying the price, that's a great reason to be fed up with that. But what do we often do? Nothing. We hear and we see and we do nothing. We're like those monkeys that see no evil, speak no evil, and hear no evil. But see, David here was annoyed that this Philistine was mocking God. See, the Goliath never mentions David by name. He was talking about David's Passion will connect you to the heartbeat of God. So when others challenge or mock or blasphemy against your God, our God, if that doesn't bother you, where are you connected to? Now see, David didn't take any fancy armor that Saul tried to give him. Saul was the big guy, but he allowed David to do this big thing. Now, I asked myself why David didn't take the armor. And you'll say, oh, because it didn't fit, because, you know, it was too big. Mainly because David didn't train that way. David didn't train with extra protection. He didn't train with armor. All he needed was a sling and some rocks. Now, this is the, in- the interesting for me, the interesting thing for me. Now, 
Jesse tells David, go and take food to your brothers. He does it. But where did the sling and the rocks come from when he reached Goliath? Everywhere David went, he never left his sling and his rocks behind. He traveled with it because he knew, Lord, you're training me for something. You're positioning me for something with these lions and these bears. So wherever David went, he had a sling and he had some rocks. Now, his sling represented his passion. He never went anywhere without it, without it, because he knew that one day he would have to stand and use it for the glory of God. And the most wonderful thing about all of this process is that David understood. Everyone say understood. David understood that something small in the hands of God is big enough. Everyone say big enough. Because for you, it may not be big enough, but for God, it's the perfect size. If what you have, if your little passion is if, if you're barely starting out and you're barely beginning to, you know, to dip your hands into this whole faith thing, that is good enough to start. It's good enough to be able to get into place where God is going to positioning you, to position you. Will it be painful? Of course. Will it hurt? Yes. Will it leave scars? Yes. But will it be worth it? Yes. For everything, it was my throat. For everything that we experience, it's never in vain when we do it for the glory of God. Now, one of the coolest things that I have discovered in, in that story between David always carrying his slingshot and always going and being ready and never leaving passion at home. How many of you left your passion this morning at home? It's the reality that on Monday morning, we, we, we got to take our passion to work because we can't be without it. But on Sunday morning, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to let my passion rest a little bit. He's tired. If there was one day that we should give everything we have, it's when we gather together. Whether it's a Sunday, whether it's a Wednesday, whether it's a Friday, whether it's a Tuesday, whether it's a Monday. The gathering of the saints should always be, the saints should always gather together and leave empty. I'll let you figure that one out. But you see, in David's life, practice took him from the pasture to the palace because it got to a point where David went from practicing so much with that little sling, with those little rocks, that he got to be able to hit a target many yards away. Now, I've only ever shot a slingshot, a traditional one, once, and it is extremely hard. It is very difficult. To be able to swing, 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 and then you, you, you have to let go of one of the straps, and you, 
Oh, thank you, Nene. She read my mind. Thank you, thank you. Still can't do it. One day, one day, one day, Pops, I'll do it. I'll, I'll be just like you. Ah, <laughs> and in a good way, in a good way. <laughs> David understood that his practice was for something, and I want to tell you today, church, that what you're doing is for something. If you don't think that anyone's noticed your efforts, if you don't think that anyone notices how 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 discipline you're forcing yourself to be to be a, a a tither to show up on time to come to every service to 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 seek God alone at home if you think nobody has noticed you're wrong there isn't anything that goes unseen by the eyes of God in those little things that you say God I'm doing this for you and you think that nobody's even noticing believe me God is watching there isn't anything that is unseen under, this, under the eyes of God. And David knew that God was with him and was watching him as he practiced in the pasture because he will eventually lead him to the palace. If you lose your passion, church, let me tell you, you're going to lose your place. Your place is not as far as you know, you don't lose your, if, sorry, I lost my train of thought. If you lose your passion, you'll lose your place. Your place meaning that when God calls someone, God knows that he's calling them for a mission. But if this person, if I become apathetic, if I become indifferent, if I choose, you know what, God, I don't really want to do any of this, that doesn't stop the purpose of God. Because as we learned in Job 42, 2, there is no purpose of God that can be stopped. God can simply remove me and use somebody else. Your passion will position you, and it will painfully position you nonetheless. But if you lose your passion, if you allow your passion to be tossed aside, you're giving up a lot more than you really think. Others will be raised up on your behalf to do what God is calling and wanting to do in this world. God can always raise up those that are passionately seeking and wanting and practicing when you are simply neglecting. If you neglect it, somebody else will pick it up. God can easily raise, and I, I, I say this to myself all the time, Kevin, God can raise up somebody that can preach better than you if you allow your apathy to overcome. Because as a, as a teenage boy, when I was growing up in all this, I used to think I was ir ir irreplaceable. I used to think I was it. I'm going to be the best. I'm going to be better than everybody. Mind you, I was 20, 21, 22 years old, young and naive and dumb. And out of that prideful thinking, the Lord birthed this phrase, if your apathy gets in the way, I will remove you. So I, 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 I often communicate that to myself. Kevin, don't think that God cannot raise a better preacher, a wiser man, and a better person 
than you. Humble yourself. Seek him. And allow passion to never leave your side. Do yourself a favor, church. Don't ever forget your slingshot at home. And I want, I want to finish up with this last part of scripture. And I'm, is any, any, anyone else sweating? Goodness gracious, I have not stopped. Oh, man. Okay. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. This is after Paul and Silas, our good old friends, have been thrown in the stocks in the dungeon. They're in the inner prison with their feet shackled. It says here in verse 25, Around midnight, Paul and Silas were whining and crying. <laughs> wait, 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 time out, time out, time out. Where were they going at, in verse 16? To pray. Okay. So around midnight, Paul and Silas were doing what? So some would say they're exactly what they're supposed to be. <laughs> Paul and Silas at midnight were praying and singing hymns to God. Pause. What is going on at this point? Have, if you've ever broken, I've thankfully never broken a bone, but I've been hurt before. I've damaged parts of my body and it's painful and I don't want to do anything other than lie and sleep and rest. These guys were severely beaten. The Bible uses the word severely beaten, meaning that they were in critical condition. Potential broken bones, internal bleeding, concussions. <laughs> but they weren't sleeping. It was midnight and they weren't asleep. And it, all of this started because they were going to go pray. So God said, Paul, says, I'm going to have you guys go pray, but I'm going to completely switch up how you were intending to go pray. Woo! And they were singing and praying and they were worshiping God and the other prisoners were listening. The other prisoners were thinking, what the heck is up with these guys? What's wrong with these guys? Weren't they the ones that were dragged because they were unconscious, beaten, and then thrown even beneath us? You know, concrete's thick. Stone is thick. These guys, Paul and Silas must have been belching at the top of their lungs songs and hymns now the crazy thing is in verse 26 this is this isn't the first suddenly that happens to paul suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundation all the doors were immediately flown open and the chains of every prisoner fell off Woo! After being beaten and thrown into this dungeon, these crazy guys decide to do the one thing that they were going to do from the beginning. They never lost their focus. At the beginning, I told you, your passion needs to be focused. Because if your passion is emotional, you wouldn't be singing after being beaten. You, you, you wouldn't be praying to God after nearly losing your life. And then worse off, you're shackled in a dungeon for God knows how long. They began to pray and worship. Now, midnight 
it pops and pops and pops up to me because when I first started my entire faith process, my faith journey, my only alone time was from 11, from about 10.30 when I would kind of get home from work. Um, well, when I was sophomore, you know, about 15, 16 years old, um, my, my alone time when it was just me and God, when my parents would go to bed and my brothers would, would go to bed was from 11 to 12 always. 11 to 12 was me in my room screaming silently because I'd be praying and I'd be, you know, singing and doing all these things from 11 to 12. As I got, as I got older, that time just began my own personal time. And it, and it always stood out to me why midnight was so important. Their day started with them being beaten, thrown into a dungeon. But then midnight came. What is the significance of midnight? It's a whole new day. What started off as a horrible, tragic scene of events is now starting as a prison-shaking moment. When what at the beginning was painful, now we're about to witness the miraculous power that God uses because of these two men. Now, the Bible says that at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing. Now, Paul and Silas were not the only ones that were set free. Every single prison door was what? Blung open. Every single shackle was undone. Now, church, if you've ever wondered why we always mention to worship and press in and deepen your intimacy and seek after God is because in that seeking, in that search and pursuit of God, that is where your freedom can actually be found. If you're still captive, you're not seeking God deep enough. If you're still struggling, it's because you're still deciding that God is not a sufficient motivator for freedom. We have to understand that there is a beautiful power that is found when we worship for the sake of pursuit, not for the sake of recognition. We have to understand this. Verse 27. And I'm going to finish up with this. Verse 27. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assured the prisoner. He assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran into the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and asked, Sirs, <laughs> what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them, washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in, in his household were what? Immediately baptized. 
He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Oh, man. Yeah, if, you, if you're going to applaud. Wow. Now, remember, Paul and Silas were on their way to pray. And they prayed. They reached their destination. Was it painful? Yes. But it was exactly where God wanted them to be. Why? Because God wanted to reach the jailer. And I love that it mentions his household. You tell me if God is not a generational God. The jailer went, was found, and saved. And he was made a new person. But it didn't stop with him entire family, his household, was now believers. Church, this morning I want to remind you is the walk of faith difficult? Yes. Can you do it alone? No. Should you seek help from others? Yes. Will, it, will it, it always be difficult? Not always. Will it always be easy? Not always. But it will always be worth it. To know that Jesus is still saving is why we do what we do. His hand is not shortened that he cannot reach even the most deepest part of darkness. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet as we close this morning and We'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being with us this morning. And we thank you that you don't leave our side. That despite everything, Holy Spirit, you have marked the way for us to be able to walk close to the Father. And it is my prayer this morning, Lord, that you would remind every single one of us the importance of now not allowing comfort or circumstances to remove us away from why we decided, why we fell in love with you. We love you because you first loved us. How can we forget what you've done for us? How can we neglect what you do for us? How can we not be hopeful knowing what you will do for us? In this day, Lord, with, with these people in front of me, your sons and your daughters, Lord, we vow in our hearts this day that we will use what you've given us to run the race set before us. We don't want to be left behind. We don't want to be forgotten. We don't want you to say, be gone for me, I knew you not. We want to be sons and daughters that sit at the table. Remind us, Lord. Bring us back to that first moment where we first encountered you that made all the difference. That moment when we were so unashamed, unembarrassed to be emotionally naked in front of you where nothing else mattered. I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would encounter us this week 
to such a degree as we seek you that you would seal in our hearts our decision to walk passionately for your glory in the mighty name of Jesus. And the church says, amen and amen. Amen. We thank you, church, for, for being with us this, this morning, and we'll gather again on, sun, on Wednesday night. Be blessed and have a great afternoon.